from Philippians chapter three. Thank you, Peter. Philippians three, shall start again at the first verse. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are in circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now confess loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Thank you, Peter. Our loving God, we thank you so much for a joyous time we've had already this morning. And we pray that as we uh, look through these words, words of yours, words breathed out for our benefit, Lord, that we would breathe them in and uh, hold them close to our hearts and rejoice in Jesus Christ as our Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, look out, watch out. And that's how Paul begins this part of the letter. In fact, he says it three times in quick succession, which our version of the Bible doesn't quite do. Here at St. Paul's, we take safeguarding very seriously. Uh, we want to safeguard our children and our vulnerable adults. And led by Margaret Clark, we try and discern how to be as safe as we can. Similarly, with our risk assessments in recent times for COVID, uh, Catherine has been working hard to make sure that we're safe, and rightly so. But here in verse 1, Paul wants the Philippian church to be safe. But he's not talking about first aid kits and um, social distancing. He's talking about something far more serious, following the wrong Jesus. 
and we are all in danger of that. Today we reach a new section, as I said, this wonderful and encouraging letter that we've been reading. Philippians is a model church, a genuine church, following Jesus closely, partnering with Paul, despite tough opposition. And just like Paul, the pressures are on them. There's opposition from all over the place, and that's causing strained relationships in the church, which so easily happens in troubled times. So Paul encourages the church to have the mind of Christ. Do you remember in chapter two, verse five, they are to live the way of the cross, prepared to be the bottom of the pile, seeking humility and service, not selfishness and one-upmanship. And he also holds up the examples of the sacrificial living of Timothy and Epaphroditus, who clearly lived the way of the cross laying down their life for the church. And Paul says, look, follow them, emulate them. But there's a further pressure for the church. It seems that whilst there are people to emulate, there are people to flee from. Some have joined the church of Jewish origin who claim to be followers of Jesus, but are teaching these Gentile Christians that they must adopt Jewish rules and customs in order to be proper disciples of Christ. And this is an issue that kept arising in the early church. And it included circumcision uh, to show people, uh, to show their dedication to the Lord. A piece of skin was cut from their penis and removed and to show I'm set apart for God. And these people were teaching that these non-Jewish Christians had to do the same to be true believers. And the pressure of that was causing strained relationships within the church and a falling out. In various ways, this sort of teaching is still with us today. Many ministries, many churches teach Jesus plus. In other words, yes, trust in Jesus and what he has done, but you also need to do X and, what, and that could be all sorts of things. Maybe you need to come to a certain priest or a certain church to have full salvation. You need to be in our club to be truly a believer. You need to read this version of the Bible in order to believe, to be a real believer. Uh, give your life to Jesus, but you need to do this thing as well. And moreover, uh, we can adopt ourselves a Jesus plus kind of thinking without much help. As long as I keep attending church, saying certain prayers, doing good deeds, then God will be pleased with me. Well, here, Paul will have none of it, will he? However nice these new teachers may be, and however long their beards might be, look at verse two. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. Three times he says, watch out. It's such strong language, isn't it? And rightly so, because such thinking will take them away from Jesus. And it's true for us. If we start relying upon ourselves to be right with God, then we'll stop really needing him. And you see, Paul here has our eternity in view. He's thinking of judgment day. Did you spot that at the end of verse 11? 
this attaining the resurrection of the dead. One day, the God who made us will bring all things to a conclusion and we will all face him as our judge. And on that day, only his verdict on us matters. Doesn't matter what others think, it's what he thinks. And so Paul is saying, I will do anything to attain that prize of being in the right with him, of, of having this resurrection from the dead. And he wants the readers to remain safe as well. Verse one, back to our safeguarding issue. Uh, they are to remain safe, aren't they, by doing what? Verse one. Who's got their Bibles open? Well, in verse one, it says they are to rejoice in the Lord. Previously in the letter, rejoicing has been uh, with believers or um, in other believers. And here the call is specifically to rejoice, not with believers or in the believers, but with God, to rejoice in the Lord. And that's the focus of this entire chapter. Living the way of the cross is also putting aside personal ambition, personal achievements, personal glory for the sake of gaining Christ and his glory. That is what's safe and that is what it means to rejoice. These new members of the church wanted the Philippians to be circumcised and Paul says no. If this is a way to get you into God's heaven, then it's simply mutilation of the flesh. What a horrible phrase that is. That's all they're doing. And it's unnecessary and it's wicked. And then Paul says in verse three, we are the true circumcision, you and I. We're the true circumcision. We might not even be circumcised, but God has set us apart as his people. He's not set us apart using a knife on our skin, but the Lord Jesus has done it by his gracious love and his blood has been shed for our sins, making us right with God. And that means, verse three, we can worship him. In other words, we can rejoice in who Jesus is and what he's done and give our lives to him. Walk the way of the cross. So our confidence has to only to be in Jesus and what he has done, D-O-N-E, not in anything that we do, D-O. And to sum this up, sum up Paul's teaching here, I want two words to go into your hearts. That's confidence and satisfaction confidence and satisfaction when it comes to our salvation confidence before the lord but more than that joyous satisfaction in christ so we've already begun to think about confidence these new teachers are saying our confidence is in what we do we are true believers we go to the right church we do the right things and well, Paul says, well, if you're going to play that game, then no one has more grounds to be confident than me. Verse five, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Like a good Jew, I'm from the people of Israel. More than that, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, that most blessed and loyal tribes of Israel. I'm a true Hebrew when it comes to the law. I practically wrote the law. I'm a Pharisee. Verse six, as for zeal, um, that's passionate commitment to the Jewish faith. Well, I showed so much of that. I persecuted the Christians. 
that was how committed I was. But nevertheless, verse seven and eight, all that past religion, all that moral achievement, all my prestige and status in the church, among the people, being top of the pile in Israel, well, it's all rubbish. It's all sewage compared to the prize of gaining Jesus Christ. Jesus is the pearl of great price. Do you remember that parable in Matthew 13? The pearl hunter finding that supreme pearl and he sells everything he's got to to gain it, to grasp it. Well, Jesus is the pearl. We give up all our treasures to gain him, the one true treasure. And it might not be moral, uh, religious or moral. It might be our status, our popularity, um, our, our trinkets and our hobbies and all that sort of stuff. Well, this is our joy. This is our pearl, says Paul. This is our safety, verse one. So flee. Flee from anything that might hinder your confidence in Jesus. Flee from anything that means you start resting your confidence on your achievements, on your good works. Because Jesus and his cross is your, can only be your only confidence. The only way we can be made right with God, the God who made us. Because he is our only hope. On that last day, on the judgment day, if we start trusting in anything else, we start to lose our confidence. So watch out. Watch out, Philippians. Watch out, St. Paul's. And Paul knows, verse 9, on that final day, when we stand before the judge, as we all will, he wants to be found in Christ. That's spiritually united in Christ, to Christ, at the judgment. And that means when God the judge looks at Paul and all the messiness and the persecution, all the filth, he sees Jesus, his son. So, yes, the Paul who murderously pursued God's people unto imprisonment and death, he will be vindicated on the last day. He will be found in Christ. He will be found not guilty. Because verse nine, he's given up. Uh, trying to get right with God through his own hard work, through the law and moral observance. That's impossible. God's standards are perfection. He is a holy God. No, Paul is forgiven and made pure by Christ and his death and his resurrection. So Paul will do anything to be found in Christ. But it doesn't take much. How does Paul find, is, how is he found in Christ? Well, verse nine tells us by faith, simply believing that Jesus is the Lord of heaven, the true and righteous one who humbled himself unto death on a cross to take our sin and guilt upon himself as he died so that we might know forgiveness. So Paul, the unrighteous one, is sheltering under the righteousness of Jesus, trusting in his blood his sacrifice to be made right with God. That is his confidence. And the risen Jesus stands before us today by his father's side, holding out his hand. And what do I need to do to join him in glory? Well, simply to take his hand, to trust in him, to say sorry for messing things up, Lord, for sinning against you, 
I deserve nothing but your anger. Well, thank you for doing all that you've done on the cross for me, to die on the cross for my salvation. Please forgive me. I take your hand. Be my Lord and Saviour. And show me, enter my heart. Uh, teach me your perfect way of love. Rule my heart until I see you face to face on that final day. So on that final day, I will be found in Christ. The creator judge will look on me as he does, will do with Paul and sees not my sin and my shame, but sees Jesus, his perfect son and his righteousness. So praise the Lord for that confidence. But what about today? What about now? What about my daily life as I travel towards that day of judgment? Well, it's the same. Paul wants to be found in Christ. Uh, Jesus is the pearl of great price. Jesus is his joyous satisfaction. And that's our second word. Jesus is home. Now, home is important to us. It's where we feel safety. It's where we feel secure. It's where we know comfort, where we can be ourselves. It's where we can rest. And in Jesus, I'm home, says Paul. That's what it means to be, have a... In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Well, he knows Christ, doesn't he? We know that. He does. So what does he mean in verse 10? He means that he wants to know Christ more and more. When we're sharing a home with other people, we grow closer to them, don't we? We grow in our knowledge of one another. Like marriage, a couple come together, they marry, and their lives become one. And then they start that lifelong journey of getting to know each other more and more, better and better. And that's the same with our relationship with Jesus. And so is that something we're working at regularly, getting to know him more and more? How well do you think you can get to know Jesus Christ? Is there a limit? Well, I'm reminded of Job in the Old Testament, who compared knowing God like excavating a mine shaft. You know, one digs and digs and digs and finds more unending treasure, more and more, and reaches no end. And friends, we will spend eternity getting to know Christ more and more. The riches of Christ are inexhaustible. Jesus is our master and our friend our Lord, our teacher, our counsellor. He wants us to live for him and in him. He wants us to be like him, to be truly satisfied, to be holy as he is holy. And that's what it is to be joyously satisfied. But I need help with that. And Paul knows where that help comes from. Verse 10 again, look at it. I want to know the power of his resurrection. In other words, as we also read in Ephesians chapter one, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in his people, in his followers, making us holy. Remember Paul's prayer in chapter one, verse nine. This is my prayer that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you will be able to discern what is best, what is most excellent as you go about your daily lives, preparing for that final day, filled with the fruits of the righteousness of Christ. 
Well, we need God's power at work in us to do that, to obey, to walk in his ways. And we need his strength and power to keep going, to endure. And isn't that good to hear today? We may be a tottering fence, but his power will hold us fast until the end. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But also know him in his sufferings, says Paul. Ooh. Look at chapter one, verse 29, where Paul speaks of a privilege to suffer for Christ. And here we see to share in Jesus's sufferings. And um, that word share is koinonia again. It's this sort of partnership, this this participation, fellowshipping in Jesus's suffering somehow. When we suffer in the ways that he suffered, there's this commonality. And note that Paul speaks of Jesus' suffering in chapter 2, verse 6 onwards. And he tells us to share the same mind as Christ who suffered in that way. That is true satisfaction. We are to rejoice, chapter 2, verse 16, in suffering as Paul did. Not because suffering is enjoyable, but because it's the evidence that we stand with Jesus, that we have this intimacy with Jesus, this relationship. To know Christ is to follow Christ. And where did Christ lead us? He went to the cross. And our, our way is the same. Suffering, and for some, yes, to death. And that's where Paul goes in the next bit of verse 10. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participate in the sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's taking up the cross and following Jesus, dying to self, dying to this me agenda and being prepared to go the way of Christ and his agenda. So as I sit and read my Bible in the morning and pray, I have that notepad, pad and pen with me, writing down what's his agenda today. How's he going to lead me? And no doubt, following Christ in this way will result in struggle, suffering, rejection, and as I said, some cases death. But no doubt, our lives will be transformed with that knowledge and intimacy of relationship with Christ. How we view the world will be transformed. How we witness to Christ will be transformed as we grow closer to him. And that is the route, the pathway to glory. Not glory in ourselves, but glory to the one and only Lord who saved us. And so we've reached a full circle, haven't we? We're arriving at verse 11, and there is the day of judgment. And somehow, says Paul, we attain the resurrection of the dead. Somehow, doesn't mean he's unsure of it all of a sudden, but whether I'm alive, or dead, as he writes about in 1 Thessalonians 4, whether I'm asleep or alive, I will be joined to Christ, bodily raised to be with him forever. I'll be ready, confident on that day of salvation. And Paul says, that is your safety, Philippians. That is your safety, St. Paul's Banbury. Christ is our confidence and Christ alone. Christ is our joyous satisfaction and Christ alone. We praise God. We rejoice in that truth. Let's pray now. 
our loving God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection for us. And we thank you for this invitation to participate in your son, to have this intimacy with him now and for always, that we will be confident on the day of Christ when he returns to take us home. And we will be truly satisfied even today that our lives are in his and we can enjoy him forever, wherever that may take us. Lord, fill our hearts afresh with Christ today and may we rejoice in him for that is our safety. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been thinking, haven't we, um, wonderfully about the Lord Jesus in whom is our confidence.